0: Take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Exodus this morning, Exodus chapter 14. If you're worshiping from home, we're so glad you've chosen to worship with us this morning. We continue our series from Exodus chapter 14. We'll be in the entirety of the chapter this morning. I'm so glad to see each and every one of you here today. Uh, There's just a a simple question that I want us to really think about this morning and ponder through the entirety of the sermon, and it's just... Simply, are you trusting God? Are you trusting God with the uncertainties of your tomorrow? Are you trusting God with the difficulties of your today? Are you trusting God this day? Uh, you know, there, there is a flavor of Christianity that would have you to believe that trusting God should always be easy. That, that trusting God should always be automatic. That if you were just faithful enough, that trust would come to you easily. But, but there are times where trust is not easy. Now, there are other times where everything is great, everything is grand. you got the whole wide world in the palm of your hands. Everything is perfect. It's fallen into place. You can't seem to wipe that smile off of your face. Now that, hey, that's when trusting might feel easy. Uh, that's from the Muppets movie, if, in case you were wondering right there in the times where everything just seems great and grand, it might be easy to, to trust God in those moments, but, but what happens when life just doesn't always fall into place? What happens when it feels as if life is falling apart? It's in those moments that we have to answer the question, who are we trusting when it feels as if we're backed into a corner of our circumstances. Who are we trusting when it seems as if life has thrown us a curveball? And that curveball might be the curveball of sickness or it might be the curveball of obstacles at work. It might be a bitterness that has arisen in your family and there's no way to soften the heart maybe of a son or a daughter who's in a foreign land. It's in those moments when we're backed into the corner where we have to answer the question, who are we trusting in our everyday life? It's in those moments trusting God might not come easily for you. Well, guess what? You're not the first. If that's where you have been, some of you will be there, some of you are there. You're in good company, you're in biblical company. Thousands of years ago, the Israelites were set free by God's miraculous deliverance out of Egypt. And he does that through the sending of the angel of death, and of the Passover as we come to the pinnacle of, of 10 signs that God gives to break the heart of Pharaoh. It's in that moment where Pharaoh, he grieves over the passing of his own child. He brings Moses into him, brings Aaron into him, he says, "Get out. Get out of my country." Take your herd, your livestock, with you. Take your families with you, and I never want to see you again. And it's in that moment of grief. It's in that moment where he says, as the leader of that land, go, 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 go. But I'll tell you this. Grief begins to pass away. He begins to think through the economic bottom line of just what his decision and that rashness of grief means for the future of Egypt. And it's in that moment that he says, hey, hey, we've got to go get them. And all the king's horses and all the king's men chase after the Israelites to bring them back into slavery again. That's the story that we find the Israelites having to answer the question, who will they trust when they're backed? into a corner. Now, how did they get backed into a corner, you ask? How did they end up against the ropes with the Egyptian army coming down upon them? Who, who led them on such a detour where the, the Red Sea would be behind their backs and the whole Egyptian frontier of desert would be, 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 be before them? How did they get there? Well, that's what we read of in Exodus 14, starting in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Piharoth between Migdal and the sea. In front of bel Zephon, you shall encamp facing it by the sea, for Pharaoh saved the people of Israel. They're wandering in the land, the wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden, this is God saying this, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. Pharaoh's going to pursue the Israelites. And I, God, will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, and they did so. This is utter military foolishness. From a human standpoint, the directions that God has given to Moses to detour the Israelites to the very place that they're gonna be backed into a corner is utter human foolishness. There's nothing about this plan that the Israelites could see other than using boxing metaphors that God has put them in the corner, up against the ropes. And the 600 chariots of Pharaoh that are coming down to bring them back, whether he destroys them or he enslaves them again, that in this moment, they are waiting to get a uppercut of absolute destruction. It's foolishness from a human standpoint. But while Pharaoh thinks, hey, I've got them exactly where I want them, it is in this moment that we discover that God is saying, no, I've got You, exactly where I want you. You see, it's all hopeless unless we realize what verse 4 tells us That God is with the Israelites as they're backed into the corner, and God has a plan to receive glory over the certain defeat of Pharaoh's army. This is the whole purpose of this, to show to the Egyptians and the Israelites alike who is in control. Is it Pharaoh or is it God? Who is most powerful? Is it Pharaoh or is it God? Who will receive the glory? This is the purposes of their detour. Now the Israelites, they didn't know this. Moses knew it, but the Israelites, you know what they did? As they heard the chariots coming upon them, as they saw the Red Sea here, they saw the vast wilderness around them, they say to Moses, hey, you brought us all the way out of Egypt. Were there not enough graves there? This is all on you. Do you see what's coming for us? Whose idea was this? God tells Moses, Speak to them my words. And in the midst of their fear, in the midst of their doubt, in the midst of the Red Sea being before them, certain destruction in their future, Moses said to the people, verse 13, Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. Verse 14, underline it, put a star beside it, put an exclamation point right over it. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. ever been in a situation where you feel backed into the corner? It's in those moments where the human tendency that we have is to try to talk our way out of the situation. The more difficult a situation gets, the more we feel we need to do something. The more difficult our marriage gets, the more we feel the temptation to fight for our marriage. to fight for the first love. You have a son or a daughter that's living in a foreign land, and the more that you think, if I had the right book to read, then I could get through to him. If I had the right punishment to give, then I could bring him home. If there was the right prayer to pray on my knees, then I could break through to her who's, who's living in this foreign land. You're backed into a corner and you feel in that moment that you need to do something, but do you know this? Sometimes when you're backed into a corner, there's nothing left for you to do, but Christians see God break you out of that corner. There's sometimes where the diagnosis is dire. And we feel that we've got to do this and do this, and yes, certainly there's responsibility that we have, but there are times in life where we're backed into a corner, and our only hope is that the Lord is with us and has not forgotten us, And while the vast red sea of trials and circumstances are before us and we feel as if Satan's very own army is encroaching upon us and we feel like there's a target on our family or there's a target on our soul and the darts are striking us at every place and at every moment and it's in that time where we need to hear from the Lord, hush, be silent. The Lord will fight for you. In our prayer life, it very well may be that when you're backed into the deepest corner, that that's exactly where God wants you to be. Where, where it seems as if the foes are so many. And the outcomes seem to be so insurmountable. Would you believe that that exactly might be where the Lord wants you to be? So that he would receive glory in your weakness? When there's nothing left for you to do. When there's no rope for you to hold on to. And the only place to turn, the only person to trust in, is a God who tells us he will never leave us nor forsake us. That he's with us in the corners of life. Would you believe that in those places that are dire and difficult, that it very well might be the place where God receives the greatest glory because you are exactly where you need to be. In his arms. The Israelites were. They didn't know it. God is telling them, trust me when you can't see the contours of my story here and how I'm going to work this together. It's a, it's a mighty miracle that he works. We read of it in Exodus chapter 14, verse 16. It's a familiar story if you've been raised in the church. We come now to one of the greatest hits of Vacation Bible School curriculum right here in Exodus chapter 14, verse 16. Lift up your staff, God says to Moses. Stretch out your hand over the sea, divide it, the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. Really? I see nothing but sea before me. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots, and his horsemen. Fast forward with me to verse 21. Then Moses was obedient. He did what the Lord said. He stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord, would you believe it? The Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night. And he made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided, and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians... 600 of the finest chariots come in after them, and the text tells us that God jams up their wheels, and we have this chilling summary statement in verse 28. Read it with me in your copy of God's Word. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. This isn't the first time that God has used water as a sign of judgment. You rewind the story to the book of Genesis, and he sees the corruption of humanity upon the earth, and he sends a great flood, the waters being a sign of judgment of sin, and there's one family that he preserves, Noah and his ark. And here, the Egyptians, who, who just a few chapters before, would, would punish the Israelites. you remember how they would do this? By taking their children and drowning them in the Nile. The sin that was committed from the Egyptians to the Israelites will now be the very place that God brings salvation as he brings the water upon the Egyptians. The judgment of God is floating over the heads the Egyptian army it's interesting in this passage that it clearly tells us then and now that God alone that God alone has the power to save that that only God could accomplish this and his power is on full display this is why it's not surprising to us Long before Star Wars and long before Marvel movies and long before all of the the material that we use to populate sort of big blockbuster cinema. That in 1956, if you're going to make an epic story and Cecil Cecil DeMille is going to to put on screen the the biggest story with the the, uh, special effects that he has at the end of the 50s, he does the Ten Commandments. And for some of you, you read this story and you can't help but to see Charlton Heston right there, parting the Red Sea through the power of God. Now, it's not surprising, you know this, that that the miracles of the Bible have been doubted for hundreds of years, there's a huge target upon this story. Surely, did it it really happen? Did it really happen the way we read it, people will ask? There's sort of two counter-interpretations. Over the last 200 years, there there's some that read this passage that clearly says God brings about this great miraculous event and says, no, 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 no. This is just a natural phenomenon. That coincidentally, what happens here says this alternative theory is that this was a high tide or low tide and a high wind that comes, and it just so happened to occur right at this moment here. So we don't have to go looking for the miraculous. We don't even have to go looking for God. There's just a natural, natural uh, explanation to this. Do you believe that? There's a second theory that has come that it's not the Red Sea that we're talking about but the Reed Sea right here. We can make it a little bit more of a pedestrian story here. The Reed Sea is a marshy area and the Israelites under this interpretation would would cross upon their feet and the the water would be nothing more than just inches and the chariots of the Egyptians would get stuck down into it and so that the writer of Exodus would just use this poetic, poetic license to just sort of embellish the story. Do you believe that? hundreds of years have been people that look at anything in the Bible that is miraculous and they they look at it askance they look at it with suspicion and skepticism but I want you to know that the only hope that we have as humans is in a God who can and does do the miraculous if God can't part the Red Sea Why would we believe that He could raise the dead on the third day? Our hope is in a God who orchestrates the miraculous. Donald Bridges tells the story in one of his books about a young seminarian that comes back to his home church. He grew up in a very faithful African-American congregation and he was preaching. The church was so proud. They send him to one of the finest institutions. He's preaching from this story of the parting of the Red Sea. And as it so often occurs, there's there's give and take from the congregation, and they're helping him preach. And so as he's walking through the parting of the Red Sea, there's a a faithful stalwart member of the church that, that shouts out from the congregation, Praise the Lord, God brought all of his children through the deep waters. What a mighty miracle. I remind you, this young man's been to seminary. And so he's learned some alternative interpretations, and he comes back to his home church, and he says in this moment, you know, maybe I need to help my congregation come up to speed to what we actually believe is happening. And he says, well, well, hold on for just a second. It, it wasn't exactly a miracle. Uh, the uh, Israelites, they, they crossed through on marshy land, and the tide was ebbing, and the, the children of Israel, they picked their way across six inches of water. Undaunted, the same man in the congregation shouted out, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. God drowned all those Egyptians in six inches of water. What a mighty miracle. (laughs) Our our hope is in a God who does the miraculous. Miraculous. Our hope is in a God who parts the sea. Our hope is in a God who defeats death. Our hope is in a God who defeats the Egyptians. Our hope is in a God who looks at insurmountable obstacles and says, that ain't nothing to me. Pharaoh, 600 chariots, death in a tomb, that ain't nothing for me. Our hope is in a miracle-working God who parted the Red Sea then and who parts the Red Sea now. You see, as Christians, we, we hold on to this story because when we listen to the story, we understand that it is a template for each and every one of us. We, we walk behind the Israelites. On the Mount of Transfiguration in Luke chapter 9, we have Jesus with two heavenly uh, conversation partners. Elijah shows up, and Moses shows up. And In Luke chapter 9, we read the, the, the very encapsulation of this story. What did they talk about? Well, they spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. In the Greek language, that word departure is the word that is, is exodus. So Jesus at the cross is the new Moses. What Moses does in the Old Testament, Jesus ultimately does in the New Testament. And for each and every one of us who are followers of God, we need a victory over a greater Pharaoh. One who enslaves us to sin. We need to be set free from Egypt, it's called the world. There is a hold on your soul, and there's a hold on my soul, and we are in bondage. But praise God on the third day that Jesus was raised from the grave. And for each and every one of us who followed the new and the greater Moses Jesus, we've walked through the water of the Red Sea. And what separates us as sinners from the other shore of the holiness of God is only one who has parted the sea from hell and eternity from sin and holiness. He is the one who has made a way. Have you followed him? Have you trusted him as your savior? He is part of the sea, and he has brought about hope against death, hope against sin, but we must trust him. Have you trusted him? 1956, Cecil DeMille It's showing the Ten Commandments. In 1956, President Eisenhower is is changing our country's motto to, In God We Trust. How how do we help people remember that? Eisenhower places it upon our own currency. So So that every time we pull out our wallet and pay with cash, we could be reminded of the aspirations of our country, in God we trust. Now we're tempted this morning to to think about how how we as as citizens of this great country are, are living under the umbrella of that motto, or we're living up to it, or we're falling short of it. But I think a better question is, is in God do you trust? Who are you trusting? When you are backed into the corner of difficulty, when sin seems to have the upper hand, when sickness is encroached upon you, financial difficulty is around you, when when life seems as if there's nothing before you but the insurmountable, who are you trusting? Are you trusting in your ingenuity, in your might, in your strength, are you trusting in the one who would say then and say says now, hush, I will fight for you. And God, we trust. Is it true of your life? And is that true of my life? Let us pray. We come to you this morning, God, and we have to answer the question, who do we trust? Do we trust that you would fight, fight for the future of our family, fight for the future of the uncertainty of what we might face? There's some of us that are facing what seems to be insurmountable obstacles, We've reached out, we've tried to reconcile with that loved one, with that coworker, with that family member to, to no avail. And it's in this moment that we realize it is only you that can break the heart of bitterness. There are some of us in this room that are doing a whole lot of strive and a whole lot of fight and a whole lot of doing, and we need to hear from you, hush, 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 hush. I will fight for you. Lord, would you fight for the purity of our marriages? Would you fight? for the obedience of sons and daughters who are living in foreign lands coming back. We pray, would you, would you fight for them to bring them back to repentance? Would you, would you fight for us when, when a, a sickness seems to be overwhelming us and we're, we're drowning in the sense of uncertainty? Will you, will you fight for us when, when doubt and disbelief, they, they seem to have the upper hand and we seem to have nowhere to turn? Would we trust you? that you're not surprised, and it's in our weakness that your strength will be manifest. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.